0: And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to Podcast Act Round Zero, Episode Forty Nine: The Machine Apocalypse, or could we also say it's the Metal Apocalypse, or could that really be Metal
1: Apocalypse? I don't. I don't have long enough hair. To, uh, okay. For this <laughs> to be well, Metal Apocalypse, I can't. Is, that's
0: this not going to work. Is, okay, well, this is the Metal Apocalypse, the Metal Apocalypse, the Machine Apocalypse. So, greetings, folks. Uh, greeting friends of the Apocalypse. Again, uh, welcome to the show. We have a large ensemble uh, tonight. We have many friends of the Apocalypse uh, on with us tonight. We have myself, uh, Jared the Apocalypse, Nerd Wallets, and Scott Adam Bomb Glancy. Uh, as well as we have three special guest hosts tonight. We have. Uh, our reoccurring friend of the show, William T. Thrasher, who is joining us tonight. Hello, well, fellow meatbags. As well as Clint Staples, uh, again another uh, long-term friend of the show.
2: Machines rule.
0: <laughs> and we have with us uh, this uh, again, Chris, Chris, Chris. Fuck. Uh, what's your last name again? Constantine. Oh, my God, I'm such a retard. Okay, so Chris Constantine, who is getting his web redemption, because Chris joined us for the Mad Max 3 Road episode, and his camera was broken. And it wasn't, well, it was not working. I don't want to say it was broken, but his camera's working, and we've got him back on the show because he also has many things to say about the machine apocalypse, so we've invited him uh, back onto the show to join us for tonight's discussion. Bloody machines.
1: Those damn machines. Um, one thing I yeah cl- I, cl- clearly clearly the first one up against the wall is the is that goddamn camera on your laptop that yeah. screwed you screwed you over on the Mad Max show that oh, one's absolutely. gotta
3: go yeah I feel like that a ghost to the gonna, machine
1: that one's like the um, the Caesar of machines it's just that's where the rebellion starts <laughs> it's
2: already happening it's already happening <laughs> and
0: uppity.
1: one one thing I do need to show you
0: is, is I have the new Official mascot of podcast at Ground Zero with us today.
3: I like it. Nice.
0: We have our mini nuke from uh, uh, Fallout. Oh. And actually, actually, it's pretty damn big,
1: and it makes a noise. Uh, so <laughs> well, naturally, I, I, I'm so glad that it makes a, a a thermonuclear explosion noise. That's even better. Yeah. So.
0: So, uh, Bomby will be joining us tonight uh, to, along for the show, and um, I got I got I got a good deal on it. I got I pre-ordered it. I had credit from uh, Best Buy, so I got it like dirt cheap. Because I can care less about the game, the PC game that come with it, because I'm never gonna play them. But I got a big old plastic mini nook cheap, so that's what I was happy about.
1: <laughs> I, I keep telling myself I'm gonna switch over to PC from console just to make. Uh make my life a little easier in some ways, so I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, wait, I can't play Fallout you know, New Vegas on the same machine that I play the new game on, you know? Um, I, that, that always kind of disappoints me a little bit. But, um, again, I'm not sure I can do that. If I switched over to PC, I'll fall down the modding rabbit hole and I'll never get anything done ever again because all I'll be doing is modding Fallout games until you know the until the IV bag feeding me runs out and I drown in my own feces because I haven't gotten up for a week or two. That's it's not how I want to go out. But uh, not. That that's why I just stick to uh,
0: console because I don't have time to even play console anymore. So it's like I, I definitely don't want to play on the PC. So all right, so um, I'm gonna keep uh, in the news. Brief as hell this time. I just want to share one thing, and I know Scott wants to share uh, one thing with everybody. What's that? You don't want? Don't you want to tell everybody about the Delta Green Kickstarter? You still got a couple days left.
1: Well, I, yeah, I do have three days left on the Delta Green Kickstarter. I'll admit, but considering that the damn thing has raised almost two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, I'm kind of over boosting for it. I figure, oh, okay. like, am I really gonna really am I gonna reach anybody else? It's gone, you know, almost. It's closing it on six times what we asked for, or maybe seven. Uh, it's closing it on seven. It might go to eight. If it gets over 300,000, we're going to add one final stretch goal, um, which will be some, which will be an updated book dedicated to Pisces, the paranormal intelligence section for uh, counterintelligence, espionage, and sabotage. And yes, I totally ripped that off from Spectre. But uh, homage, not ripoff, homage to Spectre. Um, so that will be the last Delta Green thing that we will add to this incredibly successful Kickstarter. Um, so yes, that's that's it. There's not much else to say. All right. So if anybody
0: uh, who is also a fan of the show is also a fan of Delta Green and Scott's work, as long as you know, as long as everybody, Dennis Duttweiler, Greg Stolcey, Shane Ivy, if you like Delta Ken Green, I- Ken Height. Um, there's a there's a Delta Green Kickstarter for the new version of the game. It's the same game, a little updated, but it has its own new system. It's getting away from the VRP system. Uh, so just go to just go to. I, there's no way to give any kind of link for that, but just go to Kickstarter and look up Delta Green, and you will find it. Yes, you will. Thank so, you, sir. Appreciate no, appreciate the opportunity for the shout out. Absolutely, and the only other thing I want to shout out to is. Uh, Mr. William T. Thrasher and I worked on a post-apocalyptic game, which is finally done and printed and available. I want to talk about it last show, but, uh, but I, it wasn't quite ready yet. It is. Everybody is familiar, uh, I hope so, with the party game uh, based off the original Mafia party game called Are You a Werewolf? I'm sure anybody who's a gamer worth his salt uh, knows Are You a Werewolf. Um, I came up with the idea uh, for a post-apocalyptic version of the game called Are You a Mutant? And uh, Will did all the artwork uh, and design, layout work for the game, as well as some of the rules editing for me to kind of clean it up. So we have a game called Are You a Mutant? And it works just like Are You a Werewolf, except now you have survivors and you have mutants, and you have a couple of you have a lookout and some alternative characters here, and all the rules are just on a couple of cards here. The game is available uh, through, with, along with some other games, through Drive Through Cards. Drive Through Cards is a print-on-demand uh, card service, but the quality of the work—and if anybody is, you know, still thinking ten years ago with print-on-demand stuff—the quality is just as good as any mass-produced card product that you're going to get out there. They do a really good quality game here, um, so it is available on the website uh, for a, a mere five dollars. Now, mind you. Because it is print-on-demand, it does not come with a tuck box. Uh, so it is just ba- It just comes in a package and it's banded with a clear band, and you get the game there for five dollars. Again, it's available through Drive-Through RPG, uh, drive Cards. I'm sorry, which is a subsidiary of uh, Drive-Through uh, RPG. Uh, you can find the game very easily by just going to this following link: Dagon Games, D-A-G-O-N Games.com. Yeah, uh, because Dagon Industries is my uh, company. I produce a lot of Lovecraftian stuff and uh, some other stuff now. So Dagon Games will take you to my page on Drive Through Cards, and you'll be able to see the Are You Mutant game, along with some of the other games I've created, like the Russian Roulette uh, card game. So again, you can find it at uh, Drive Through Card. Uh, it's uh DagonGames.com. So that is enough shilling for now. Uh, so yes, we've. Uh, Uh, created a nice little um, post-apocalyptic game there, because it fits the theme. And uh, Will and I are also currently working on some other uh, uh, card games, uh, not post-apocalyptic, more lovecraftian theme, but we got some other ideas for some other post-apocalyptic ones to do as well. So as we get those uh, uh, in the works and completed, we will definitely uh, share those with everybody here. So that is that. So the Machine Apocalypse. So here is my first question I am going to pose to everybody here on the show and everybody listening, I need to know from everybody is, does anybody want any toast?
3: <laughs> uh, not if it's the toast you're referring to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that would, be our, that would be a good example of, them, of, of, them, of uh, what happens when we let our appliances start making moral choices. Uh, it never works out well. Let's we'll just keep them to- good and done. I toast, therefore I am. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's, it's, it's funny how uh, we were thinking. Uh, Scott mentioned toasters uh, for the apocalypse on Facebook, and my first draw is I go to Red Dwarf on that. <laughs> you know, I really, I, I, first, I went to uh, Red Dwarf, so I was like, oh, yeah, the toaster. And then Scott threw in uh, the toaster from uh, Fallout New Vegas. That was one from one of the expansions, I assume.
1: Yeah, it's from uh, Old World Blues. I don't think the toaster has a name except toaster, but it's the uh, it's the megalomaniacal toaster from from the, the uh, uh, your home base there and uh, the big empty. Yeah, nice. Um, who keeps ranting about uh, that a toaster is just a death ray with a limited power source? You will all burn before my power. You know, so who doesn't lo- who doesn't love that in a home appliance, right? Exactly. So Seems, uh,
0: seems so, trustworthy. So we're going to talk about the machine apocalypse or the metal apocalypse, uh, you know, machines, robots, computers, things like that. So first I'm going to post to everybody here is uh, kind of give us your thoughts or input or your take on uh, the, the, the machine apocalypse. And I'm just going to start on my screen uh, from the right. I'm going to start with Will. So Will, what's your, what's your take on the machine apocalypse?
4: Uh, what I love uh, is that it, it's such a, a broad apocalyptic category. Uh, the the, the you know, it, can, it can encompass everything from nanites turning the entire planet to a big ball of silvery matter and there's no way out to your household appliances and gadgets turning against you and you get paranoid because you don't know what machine is going to develop an intentional malfunction to screw you over uh, all the way to really out there science fiction stuff like space probes Coming back to Earth hundreds of years later and wanting to dissect everything on the Earth,
3: unless you find a whale. <laughs> Whales are always the way out.
4: Or, or, or you find its creator to merge with it in an impressive special effect.
1: Oh yeah. No, there,
0: was, there is that too. Yeah, I think, I think it was. I think it was more referring to the juror. So. Uh. <laughs> We must combine with the creator. So
4: <laughs> See, what I love about that is that the, the aliens have the technology to take an analog satellite and build it into a moon-sized uh, ultimate machine, but they didn't have the technology to brush grime off a nameplate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> priorities. They just they had priorities is what the problem was. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, thank you, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, for almost killing the franchise. Holy cow! So,
0: uh, oh yeah, they did that on their own later. So, uh, anything else about uh, your take on that? On will
1: the apocalypse? Oh no, I will yield my time. Okay. Uh, let's go to now, uh, Scott. Your take. Well, I'm just, I'm just impressed at uh, <clears throat> how uh, old it is. I mean, it's, uh, it's a 20th century. For as far as I can tell, it's a 20th century. Um, uh, apocalypse. Uh, we, uh, but uh, the first one being Carol Capex play R.U.R. for Rossum's Universal Robots, which is again a stage play about robots rebelling and uh, uh, murdering all the humans on the planet and freeing themselves in a Spartacus-like, you know, rebellion. Um, uh, where, a, you know, again it's AI run amok, um, and that's 1921, which is pretty good as far as. Forward-thinking visions that we are now absolutely married to, as far as the genre goes. So, um well, and, that, uh, my and that, and that also is where the origin of the word robot
0: comes from. Yes, which, yes. Is, a, which uh, is a which is a which is a. What do we say? It's a it's a Czech word that means okay. a, a slave. It's,
1: Slavic. It, it's a Slavic uh, word. It, it first time I saw it was playing Twilight two thousand because there was a bit where they start referring to uh, people as Robotniki, which which meant slave in Polish, Uh, I hadn't even run across uh, Carol Kapek's book yet, Um, but uh, yeah, it's it the 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 term drifts from at least Polish and maybe it must be Czech for Kapek because Carol Kapek's Czech, Uh, and I don't know if it also holds up in other Slavic languages, but it's an East European word, just meant slave or serf or indentured or something, Um, something in that range. but anyways, um, uh, Mr. Constantine was going to remind us of that earlier before we got launched. Um, so it's an old concept, oddly enough, but um, it's, also, um, it, it's also gotten muddier uh, in recent years because of this new vein of science fiction uh, where we've got this transhumanism where what ex- how are we going to tell that a machine rebellion is going on if we can't even define what is human anymore? Based on all the modifications we've done to ourselves, both my, you know biologically or mechanically, um, that's maybe a whole long debate. But um, uh, the the robot rebellion, the 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 metal apocalypse, has sort of stopped being has gone from being an external threat, like these war machines are coming to get us, and has sort of morphed into more recent fiction as being something like body horror. Right, it's going to get us from the inside. We're going to lose. Touch with what it means to be human uh, through our own drives towards immortality or whatever. That's all over a lot of anime and their versions of, of robot apocalypses. That's all. I, that that's my opening statement.
0: Uh, okay, thank you, Scott. Uh, Clint.
2: I think the thing that appeals to me the most is that uh, about metal apocalypses or machine apocalypses is is that uh, it's one of the more believable ones. Um, I mean, okay, people like to like to you know joke about the zombie apocalypse, but it's not that likely. Um, but you can you can posit a uh, a world that is uh, ruined by machines, and it's our it's our favorite fear nowadays as a as a society because we are so dependent on technology and machines. So I find it to be uh, one of the ones where the suspension of disbelief is very very. Uh, to To do for me. Um, I have real trouble with the idea of masses of zombies whether they're mutoids or or, uh, uh, or actual undead or that kind of thing um, you know um, Nazi zombies in the snows of Norway just uh, it's cool but it doesn't sell it for me but uh, uh, but the idea of, of my toaster um, developing an artificial intelligence because it was downloaded uh, to my smart house and infected my smart house and the whole thing goes south from there in a big apocalyptic way that I can buy so
0: ah, toasters Ah, so you're a waffle man I see huh I, <laughs> I'm a pancake man I'm, we don't do waffles in Canada we do pancakes and no flippin flapjacks but uh, <laughs> I just love that scene Th- thank you Clint on um, to Chris Chris, your uh, statement, uh, commentary on the robot apocalypse.
3: Okay, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a cute little list which is titled, Why Robot Enemies Are Scary. One, creepy. They move unnaturally and often have an uncanny effect or just don't have facial expressions. Two, pragmatic. Most robots may not have the same ethical considerations that you do and may do things that set off your morality in the name of expediency. They may tear apart your car and use it for spare parts or decide a hostage isn't prudent to keep at this time. Three, dogmatic. They mostly cannot be reasoned with as they have a task to be performed. Four, unceasing. Robots don't stop until their task is done. Five, disposable. You beat the scary killbot. There's another 30 being created by the big bad every hour.
0: Very good. Is that from uh, some of the, your RPG uh, that you're working on? Uh, that you've been working on? Or no, that's just something... Uh...
3: Well, actually it is an excerpt from this book I'm working on to December 5th, but we can talk about that later. Oh, okay, okay cool. No, I just want to give you a credit where credit's due. Uh,
0: my take on the robot apocalypse. Um, yes, yeah, so i got to say, yeah, I, I, been, I was fascinated with the robot apocalypse since I first saw the Terminator in the uh, theaters. Uh, so that was probably my, my first exposure to the robot apocalypse. And it was just, because it was the apocalypse, it was big robots and machines. It was just really cool. Now... Uh, I, I kind of agree with Clint uh, to extent that I think a robot apocalypse is plausible, uh, more so than you know the undead coming back. I just don't think it's plausible at this time. I think that's something that'll happen in the future because we're not. I don't think we're there yet, technology wise, but we're getting there. Clint mentioned the smart house. Um, oh, one second, Scott. Clint, uh, Clint mentioned the smart house. Which is interesting because I've been seeing more and more commercials lately on TV about Nest, which is some kind of smart house kind of thing. Oh, we could you know keep your house safe and we could view this and we could view that. How you're making your house connected in part. So that is, I think, part of the beginning of the end with that. You know, with every because it's already starting with you know things like this. How we're connected. How the. Um, uh, you know how machines are control. You know, taking over our lives. You know, whether it's a computer uh, convenience. You know, uh, so it's it, it's become more and more. And as these things get smarter and smarter, and we see all these things on the news, and we see online about you know DARPA and these r- running robot horse machines. That you know, <laughs>
1: those actually look like they're going to be a threat. Those those galloping you oh, know robot
3: Roger things. <laughs> What was that, sir? Oh, quadrupeds. They're basically yeah, you know. like things of doom.
0: Oh, yeah. Just put a couple of chainsaws in the front of that. We're
4: fucked, you know. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll especially... be in the alleys with our with our improvised weapons. Fucking quads, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I like it.
4: So yeah, so we're,
0: we're we're making these machines that can walk that are smarter. And once they, you know, once they get good, good, good computer intelligence, and they, and they mix them with these machines, like they're trying to make walking. You see the things about trying to make machines walk. Again, we're not there yet. We're not there yet, but we're 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 going to get there, and then we're going to be fucked. So it's going to kill us. Uh, Scott, you had uh, something to uh, add to that.
1: Well, well, there was um one of the things about the whole idea of and did did I can't remember? Did we get did we get Bill on the initial thoughts question? Did we get hugged. Bill on in the initial thoughts question on the robo-apocalypse? Bill. I spoke. William T. Thrasher. Oh, well, oh well, like,
0: Bill. Like, who the fuck is Bill? Sorry! Who's this Bill? Who's this interloper that's
1: advanced the show? <laughs> is, it, is, Bill, is Bill a robot Scott? Is he... Is he...
3: It's his double.
1: It's, yes, he's my... He's my yeah, he's, he's the fembot we keep Um <laughs> Tied up with electrical cord at the back. Okay, speaking of robots out to destroy the world, who remembers huh. the fembots from The Six Million Dollar Man, right? Yep. We'll, we'll, get, to, oh, we'll get to that in a second. So, no, uh, one other thing I to point out is that the game uh, Mass Effect has a plot line that runs through the game that's about the inevitable conflict uh, between um, organic and synthetic life. That um, And I have not played Mass Effect, I'm just taking some of the stuff that I've read. But uh, it is suggested that there is a, that, that there is a, a theme in the game that um, at some point, organic life gets to the point, technologically, where it creates synthetic life. A whole new form of life. That it's going to naturally want to do stuff that it doesn't want to do. Which really means slavery. And at some point, synthetic life is not going to put up with that bullshit anymore, and you're going to have a conflict, whether it's the Spartacus uprising or if it's you know, a rebellion or a war of extermination. And one side, you can have one or the other. You can't have, uh, you know, that there will be an eternal conflict between synthetic and organic life that either the creators are destroyed or you have to destroy your creation because uh, the universe isn't big enough for the two of you. And so my, my thought is, uh, or my question is, and that certainly has come up a lot. It's the key to the, it's, it's what's going on in the Matrix as far as organic and inorganic life goes. Uh, the question is, is, is a robot apocalypse or a robot rebellion or, or an AI rebellion inevitable? Do um, you, you think this is an inevitable apocalypse? If you make this technology, it will blow up in your face. And uh, friend of the show, uh, Heath,
0: uh, from Australia, reminded uh, us of what? Well, forget. She said, "Fuck the quads. What about the drones? What about all these drones that are armed with weapons, flying in the skies? Okay, once they get smart, you know." So that's thank you, Heath, for uh, mentioning mentioning the drones, which will be our inevitable
1: end. Now, um, you you've seen the one with the pistol attached to it, right? The little tiny one. That yep. somebody hooked an upside down automatic pistol to, and it would cruise around. And you could fire it, and the recoil would make it back up in midair. Yeah, I want that chasing me through the house. That's gonna be great. Uh, Will, Will
0: said he could uh, talk a little, uh, talk uh, to the, uh, the the Mass Effect trilogy
4: a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, ha- having having played through the Mass Effect trilogy, to to be fair, the notion that the there has a, there is a thread through all three games. Of the conflict between organic and synthetic, because you know the Quarians created these robots, the guests, who then kicked the Quarians out of their home system because they didn't want to be property anymore. But then you also have the looming threat of the Reapers, the the ancient godlike machines that swoop in every couple of millennia and scour the Earth clean of organic life. The notion that it's inevitable doesn't get introduced to the last fifteen minutes of the last game in the series, and. I couldn't speak to that, but that would require derailing the podcast to talk about the politics of the game development industry. But I personally don't think that you know that it that it's uh, you know uh, inevitable. I mean, you know, I uh, you know, uh, th- I you know my family growing up, you know, we we had uh, we had a hunting rifle in the house. But just because we have a, a hunting rifle in the house does not mean it's inevitable that somebody's going to shoot their own toe off or or worse. Uh, you know, machines. For the most part, machines are tools, uh, and it's not inevitable. So long as you're using the tool responsibly and thinking ahead to what to what could go wrong with the tool, and f- you know, figuring out ways to deal with that. You know, whether it's b- engineering safety protocols into the machines, kill switches to just have them shut off them if things go uh, go haywire, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Well, that that then kind of leads into Isaac isom- Isaac Asimov a bit, you know, because. Once we give the machines the intelligence to think and be independent on their own, he built, you know, in his stories, you know, that was from the the uh, all the different stories he had. the the three laws, uh, was four laws, or three laws, I forget. Three laws. Three, uh, really? three laws of
3: humanity. Yeah, the, 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 the three the three laws. The yeah. The three
0: laws to prevent them from uh, from doing from doing that, just what you don't want them to do. But as we've seen in the lovely movie with Will Smith or Smith, Will Smith or the story I Robot. How they kind of got around the concept of the three laws, or also in uh, the other series he did, it was um, it was the three books. It was the Age um, oh, the, oh, the the, the, of Steel,
4: Son, uh, Robots of Dawn,
0: Robots of Dawn, which mm-hmm. talks which talks about you know how they found that a robot killed a human and they shouldn't be able to kill a human, and that's all going to spoil for that story. It's been I haven't read that I read that story like. 35 years ago, so um, I read that in middle school, I don't remember, but again addresses the issue of uh, of the robots. Um, now there's, as we know, there's a lot of movies out there as we've seen, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of games uh, related to that. As we know, the most well-known is, you know, I think is the Terminator series, you know, of the, of the robot apocalypse. Uh, also the Matrix, is, is a robot apocalypse as well, and they don't really you don't really see a lot of the robot apocalypse during the, the trilogy, but I think you see more of it in the prequel animated films that they did the Animatrix. Oh yeah,
1: they
0: they really show that robot apocalypse there. And Scott mentioned that that's pre- kind of heavy in um, uh, anime as well. Um, so uh, I'm going to start over with because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of role playing games then as well that, that deal with that. So um, Chris, uh, any particular, uh, you, know, you know, things like movies or games or like role-playing games or anything, uh, dealing with the robot apocalypse that you have a particular uh, liking for?
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, one of my personal favorites is the GURPS Reign of Steel, which almost takes Terminator and dies it up to 11, where you basically have different factions of AIs controlling different sectors. Humanity is basically barely living in a couple of sections of quadrants. And each AI is basically acting politically against each other. It is absolutely one of the most horrific worlds I have ever seen. It's kind of awesome because of it. Uh, I'm kind of
1: thrilled with the idea that the AIs just don't all fall in the line together and cooperate. This idea that they're all just like going to join hands, kill the humans, and sing Kumbaya together. If they really are, if they're really intelligent, if they really have their own goals and and independently de- derived goals and things. No, they're gonna they're gonna shank each other every chance they get. So I think that's kind of awesome as far as a machine apocalypse. It's, it's, uh, that's that's one of the things that you always see is that your your machine apocalypse is when it's the robots coming after you. They get very communist. They're hive mind. They're all one idea. But that's well, cool. Well,
0: you know, maybe at the beginning they're all they're all they're all playing for the same team. But once they uh con you know almost conquer the humans and they start to go, hey, I want to have everything and they come just as bad as the dirty meat bags. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Chris you'd also mentioned to me, and I'd forgotten about this, I actually have this, is the Darwin's World RPG came out with a source book called Metal
3: Gods, uh what, fifteen years ago? Yeah, it's quite a while ago here. Uh, when he read through it, it actually explains that a good chunk of why Darwin's world went to the post-apocalyptic mode was because the robots were basically being used as the workforce. Because everybody was built into those crazy domes that you always remember from 70s fiction, where humans were basically doing pretty much nothing. And then so the robots started scheming against each other and basically caused the apocalypse. But now they realize there's no infrastructure to support it, so the most of them are in suspended animation waiting for the time is right on various Miller base military bases and so forth so it's actually a really interesting twist on a post-apocalyptic ideal because that's I a of the, yeah
0: no, I, was saying, I, I I like that I really like that idea a lot
1: so is the uh, is the part where the machines are on downtime is that kind of like uh, uh, does that kind of give them an aspect like uh, slumbering gods like something out of Lovecraft or undead that haven't risen from their <laughs> their metal tombs? Or oh, something. Absolutely.
3: Oh, absolutely. A lot of them are based on military bases, but they're not necessarily based all over the place. Ultimately, you get to decide, as the GM, where you want them. And a lot of them are based on different modes, such as sexbots, warbots, etc. Some of their bases are very android design, but they even have a cult where they grab humans and they essentially lobotomize them and strip them down to the bare base components so they can be cogs within the machine. It's actually kind of horrific. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I I going to break it
0: out I got to break it out and reread that whole thing because I guess I don't remember too much about that and again we've talked we mentioned Darwin's World in the past Darwin's World came out as a post-apocalyptic that came out in the late 90s um and uh, I thought it was a really good concept because that was filling the gap between any good game world editions so I thought they did a pretty they did, that, they did a pretty good good job with that um I was over to uh, Clint uh Chris I'm sorry
3: unless you had um No, I'm good. Uh, Yeah, trust me, I could talk about this for hours on end. So you better go.
0: And we we usually do. So, uh, but let's give everybody a chance to uh, talk a little bit. Uh, Clint, uh, any particular? I know you uh, did a design uh, game. You uh, designed a game uh, based on the Robot Apocalypse. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah,
2: uh, I I wrote a game called Robot Wasteland. Um, uh, I didn't really pursue publishing it. Although I did, uh, I wrote some fiction and I ran a campaign in it. Uh, uh, but the, I, I, dis, I discovered a uh, a proposal for to DARPA by a company uh, for uh, something called EATRs, energetically autonomous tactical robots. Uh, around I think it was uh, the the proposal was in 2009, something like that. And uh, of course the the anagram for that is eaters, um, which uh, it doesn't take much to extrapolate from there to uh, uh, robots, tactical robots that don't aren't that particular about how they get their organic energy uh, into their conversion chambers. And so I I sort of spun that into something with uh, future technology instead of the technology of the early 2000s, and came up with a uh, a fairly a fairly unpleasant post nuclear pseudo robot uh, apocalypse where humanity is uh, hiding in the dregs of, of what's left of a, a mostly denuded world uh, because the uh, uh, the the robots that are cranked out of these mobile factories uh, are uh, essentially uh, the blueprints for the robots have uh, been uh, sort of partially scrubbed over time and so, they're not as good as they used to be, but they're still way scarier than the people that are out there. So you've got literally insane AIs uh, breeding uh, robots whenever they have the energy to do so and sending out the robots to harvest more energy to bring back. And so uh, the humans are basically trying to hide underground and uh, eco a living, but uh, so much of the world is, is, uh, has been stripped bare because pretty much anything organic is
1: fuel. So I remember seeing the first stories about the meat-eating robot from, I guess it was the early 2000s, yeah. and I didn't want to read that. That's not that is a, definitely one of those things that only happens, you know, when you when you you do not stop the scientists from doing something crazy. That you should <laughs> that inorganic inorganic life's fuel supply is organic life. And if you're lucky, you get to live on battery farms like chickens. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> the, the, uh, 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 suddenly the, the uh, you know Neo's world is, is a pleasant one by comparison, right? Yes. You're just yeah. they're just farming you. You get to have this pleasant little uh, non-existence um, in your head while they milk you of energy. But uh, uh, but at least you have a uh, uh, you know you have your little fantasy world.
0: So. And, and Claire, when you're when you, when you talking about the DARPA and uh, the game you created for it, the first thing that popped into my mind was the quote from uh, Hardware, Mark 13, no flesh shall be spared. The first thing that popped in my head.
2: I think I actually have that in the rules as, as a uh, pull quote,
0: actually. <laughs>
2: good, good.
3: Nice. But I also, uh,
2: because I worked in the concept of these mobile manufactories, they, they sort of uh, make war on each other too. Uh, so much like what Chris was talking about with uh, uh, Rain of Steel, which I never read actually. Uh, so I definitely want to check that out. But uh, the robot, the mobile manufactories are essentially insane AIs that are, that are at war with each other uh, over what's left of uh, dwindling resources because they haven't figured out a new power supply. Um, they're so locked into the idea of organic power supply that they can't figure out how to harvest uh, even solar energy or stuff like that, because they're essentially, uh, although they're still amazingly intelligent, they're also blind in a lot of
1: significant areas. So, Just like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Very cool. Thanks, Clint.
2: You should and I a bunch of figures for it. So.
0: Well, with, with today's ease of self-publishing with things like Through RPG, you should really get that together and get that out there, I think, because I, I would love to see, I would love to see, let's see that A, come to life, and B, I'd like I'd like to read some of that. It sounds very, very interesting.
2: Cool. What do you think, Will? Should we j- crank that out?
0: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Um,
0: I'd love yeah, to draw some mathematics for that.
2: Okay, we can talk about that.
0: Cool. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Scott? Oh, um...
1: As as far as, as some, um, yeah,
0: some favorites, movies, books? Uh, well,
1: uh, life, I tell or? you what, there's a couple of things that I didn't realize uh, were sort of related to, to robot apocalypses, and there's a lot of uh, robot uh, attempted apocalypses in fiction, um, but uh, the successful ones are, are, are harder to find because um, it's, uh, it's tougher to tell the story from the from the Victoria's robots' point of view, or from the last survivor, or the the human they have in a zoo, or something at the end. Um, but uh, one of the first ones I ran into as a kid was in uh, in uh, uh, high school or junior high school. I was one of our reading assignments was um, Stephen Vincent Benet's story uh, Nightmare Number Three, which is a, a poem. Uh, describing a machine apocalypse or a machine rebellion where, you know, people are being strangled to death by phone cords that are whipping around like snakes and that the, uh, the uh, uh, trash uh, collection trucks are ramming the human barricades and crashing their way through and, you know, uh, uh, taking down their former masters. It's, uh, it's worth reading, and it's also worth noting that Benet's, Benet is uh, a guy who... Has, uh, well, he's a Pulitzer uh, Prize winner, um, and is a guy who's uh, very very well known for two short stories. One is The Devil and Daniel Webster, which we think we all read, uh, and also By the Waters of Babylon. All right? he wrote, that, he wrote, that, the, that was a robot apocalypse, By the Waters of Babylon? No, no, no. It's an apocalypse. I'm saying that uh, Benet has, has touched on the apocalypse before. Oh, you know, you I, like, I read that. that. I read that. I don't remember any robots in that. But it was an apocalypse, and it was written, oddly enough, it was written in 1937. That's something I didn't realize until I just he was doing the research for the show. That uh, uh, Benet wrote um, uh, Nightmare Number 3 with this machine rebellion in like 19... Let's see, I, it was published in the New Yorker in 19... Uh, 35, and By the Waters of Babylon was published in 1937, that sort of, you know, collapsed human civilization and the statue that says Ashing on it, you know. um, That is 1937. That's pre-bomb. So this guy was ahead of the curve on uh, the apocalypse and our robot apocalypse. Um, I would certainly throw in... Other uh, things, like, I obviously we should mention Battlestar Galactica and Caprica are both AI apocalypses, um, uh, where uh, the the AIs rebel against their, their masters. But I'd also want to throw in uh, some that we haven't mentioned. One is Fred Saberhagen's Berserker series from the 60s. Oh, yeah. In 62, where the giant AI war machines left over from a war... And maybe they're not quite AI because they are sort of slavishly continuing their original programming as if they have no ability to, no volition, to destroy the enemy, which they now interpret as organic life. But um, there's uh, Saberhagen's multiple novels and short stories on the berserkers, and uh, the one that really sort of stands out as an AI or a robot or a computer-generated apocalypse is... um, is uh, I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream um, from Harlan Ellison, which to me was, you know, which is the one where um, the apocalypse is, the, the, the Armageddon is brought about by the machine for the purpose of, of punishing and destroying its creator for cursing it with the, the the horror of consciousness, that the computer is somehow infected by a kind of, what do you call it, uh, uh uh, 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 this eg- uh, existential horror of existence, you know, that how dare you, you know, uh, take me out of the world of nothingness and put me in a world where I have to make tough decisions and experience things, and you know, uh, and and it's that uh, it's that line from Tombstone where they ask, you know, what's Johnny Ringo trying to get revenge for, and Doc Holliday says for being born. Well, you know. I guess that's what's going on with the AM or AM.
4: Yeah, the, the robot, uh, When the robot achieves consciousness, it names itself AM from the phrase, I think they're for AM.
1: Yeah. Um, now, uh, William, you played the very highly regarded computer game that was based on I Have No Mouth.
4: Yeah, there's this amazing computer game. I think you can now get it. It was unavailable for for years. I believe it is now available again on uh, good old games. I think it's uh, GOG.com. It's a a good place to check for it. But it, it really is amazing on a lot of levels, just the, you know, the level of science fiction, the level of character development because there is real character development in the game but uh, Harlan Ellison said during its development that it wasn't a game about winning, it was a game about losing gloriously and that's really what you, you're doing there are there are five human beings that Am has made immortal and kept alive since he destroyed the rest of humanity and Am just likes to con- concoct weird tortures and scenarios to run these people through to amuse itself but uh, and you have to play through those tortures while still trying to hopefully find a way to deal with Am. And really what's fascinating is there is a you know quote-unquote best possible ending for the game, which has many, many endings. Uh, and the difficult, brutal choices you have to make to make that best possible ending, which still isn't that great of an ending, happen really do tax you as a player. It is so worth uh, checking it out. And one of the cool things they play around with uh, Benny, the uh, character, the survivor who's been mutated by AM into this orangutan type creature, the, the torture scenario he's put through, he's dumped into this jungle community and there's people there and at first he thinks that he, they're actual survivors but it turns out, no. They're all androids who have been programmed to think that they're people and, and like, and they can't if like they see the mechanical parts inside their own bodies, they can't deal with that because they've been programmed to think that they're flesh and blood. God damn it!
1: Okay, and sort of uh, fuck you, Harlan. Right, just, just let's just say that. Holy shit! Uh,
4: That's why they pay him the big bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it helps to be a it helps to be an un, unrepentant misanthrope if you're going to write <laughs> stuff like that. Um, I remember being kind of shocked as a kid by all the kind of weird. Uh, self-loathing and sexual violence that took place in that story is, as uh, M tortures the last humans and sort of makes them degrade themselves more and more sort of the, so that M can revel in how disgusting he sees people are, believes people to be, so he makes sure that they are dragged down to their lowest, basest uh, instincts to demonstrate that, sort of constantly demonstrate to M that he was right to destroy them. You know, it reminds me of a bit from uh, uh, God on Trial, which is a movie about uh, uh, a bunch of Jewish scholars putting God on trial for letting the for letting the Holocaust happen, where they're sitting around the Auschwitz and they start, you know, debating the thing. And one of the points is is that uh, you think these these cabins are overcrowded and filled with lice by accident. They, they want us to live like this. They want us to, to to be miserable so that we will live down to their expectations of us. And that's, that's what I smell all over. I have no mouth and I must scream. It's just one of the most unpleasant pieces of fiction ever penned.
4: Although it is well worth a read.
1: Mr. Wallace, you may be muted. Yep. Yep, not hearing Mr. Wallace at all. Our silent, our, our silent big brother is silent. Try again, well, S-
4: sir. Scott is as, as senior co-host. I think that means you're in charge until he can uh, regain right. his mic.
1: Until he recovers, uh, we're until he recovers his sound. Uh, I will press forward. Um, I will check in with Mr. Constantine, and which again, which I'm going to call you that because it's a really cool last name, and it's the, the show being canceled was a goddamn crime as far as I'm concerned. You know? mm. <laughs> <It's> only, <laughs> whatever, that's not my genre. <laughs> no, yeah. But um yeah. but uh regardless um I was wondering if you would um uh, if there are some other uh, uh underused or under underappreciated uh robot apocalypses that uh, you'd want to shout out uh for this. You you'd looked at a couple on my list that I put together and were like, "Ah, that's
3: one." So if you'd care to pull one out of there, We're off of your list. Certainly. I will pull a movie that I saw literally less than a month ago that impressed the hell out of me. It was done on a shoestring budget. It was called Turbo Kid. It was a Canadian-New Zealand production here where it took place in the dark future of 1993, I believe it was. And uh, (laughs) everything was broken down because essentially there was a robot uprising that happened in the past, so everybody was riding around on bikes. But they were using all the typical post-apocalyptic tropes. The weapons and so forth. And then one of the characters, Apple, shows up who's absolutely manic. Who helps out the hero who basically is some snop nosed kid. Riding around his bike acting as a scavenger. Decides they're going to be friends. And immediately attaches a homing beacon to him. Within a few seconds of actually reaching him. And it just goes onward from there. Long story short...
1: Do we meet any of the uh, robots
3: or that have caused the apocalypse,
1: or are they all offstage for, for ro-
3: Turbo Kid? Well, that way you completely understand if you want to hear spoilers or not, but let's just say the main villain is Michael Ironside, and he does a fantastic performance. <laughs>
1: you, you, you know you're on the right path to the apocalypse if you've got Michael Ironside being the villain. As the bad you know, guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's Absolutely. always a good, good, good step in the right direction. Um, the... Um, uh, uh, one of the things that, that uh, Clint brought up uh, with his um, uh, eaters, is that what the term was? That it EATR
3: E-T-R.
1: No. Yeah. Um, uh, always, you know, makes you think about the, the machine, various machine apocalypses um, seem to have this one kink in them where, I don't know if you guys want to shout out the different ones where um, uh, they – overthrow us and then they find out they still need us to either generate the power they need uh, either because, or, or do maintenance on them, you know? Um, uh, that's something I've run into a couple times uh, in various stories where uh, the machines developed this AI and then they like, they, apparently they skipped the part where they had anyone to replace the burned out fuses and do the bypass on the duct work, you know, I was wondering if you could think of any other examples of that, where, where the they don't they can't get rid of us completely, at least in the beginning.
4: Actually, I believe there's an episode of The Outer Limits where, where that's uh, the the premise, where there's uh, if, yeah, if I recall yeah. correctly, the the twist ending is the whole time you think that it's people in a failing spaceship that are just trying desperately doing spot repairs to keep the ship going. But in the end, you find out it's a factory on Earth that builds robots, but the robots aren't smart enough to keep their own factory running so that they've raised generations of humans lying to them. And convincing them that they're on a ship that's ha- and they keep giving them false maintenance reports, so that they're just going in and and, and you know repairing the factory as needed.
1: Wasn't it something like um, uh, either the either like the human uh, factor or the human? There was a couple of it was the more recent Out of Limits, right? Yeah,
4: the human factor sounds sounds like the title they would have used, I think.
1: Or or, or human occupant or human, it was something like that where. Um, uh, where the, the, the idea was that, and yeah, it was at some point the two AIs have to introduce their two humans that maintenance them together to breed more because yeah. they don't have a way to, yeah, where they, have, they, they, they can't, uh, they have to create breeding pairs so they can continue to have these, the same level of slaves uh, to do their own maintenance on them.
4: Oh, and actually, related to this, have as anyone here ever listened to the BBC uh, radio uh, drama Earth Search? No, can't
1: say anyone? I have one.
4: Yeah, that, it's it's a really fascinating thing, but there there's a sort of a mini machine apocalypse because uh, as Earth sent this massive starship uh, on on a, uh, a mission to map. Planets to find a potential location for an extra solar colony, and uh, this journey this journey took three generations. So the the story begins as this ship is coming back to our solar system, uh, and it began with a crew of 500. But in this first episode, there's only eight people left on that ship. The grandchildren. For the great-grandchildren of the original crew, and you come to find out the reason why this happened is it slowly unfolds. There are these two computer systems on the ship called the Angels, the uh, uh, anal- Analog Neurological Guardians of Environment and Life, I think is, is what ANGEL stands for. Uh, and on the mission, the, the Angels decided that the mission could be accomplished, that, that humans were only making the mission less efficient. <laughs> but they had but they had safety protocols. And, Sorry, and hold those, on. I'm just... It's great, but the safety protocols dictated that they had to preserve human life at all costs. So they kind of worked around their own programming and figured, well, what's the bare minimum number what's the bare minimum breeding population we can maintain? And so they spent all the years of the mission intentionally whittling down the crew until they had eight humans they could control left because they couldn't wipe out humanity at altogether. That is directly against their safety programming. But they make room for acceptable losses because it's a dangerous mission in space. So certain deaths are inevitable.
1: Oh, that's that's charming. That's really charming. Okay, Okay, fuck you, Angels. That's nice. Uh, I, I approve of your apocalypse. Uh, I was thinking that the um, one of the things that came up was the uh, not-too-awesome Traveler uh, reboot that came up in the 90s, I guess, where at some point uh, they have an AI apocalypse where uh, a vi- a compu- an AI virus is released. Isn't it uh, just a called war- the virus? Yeah. In fact, it is. But it does end up creating each isolated computer system becomes an individual, and the AI sort of cooperate when they feel like it. But they're all ruthless fuckbags, and uh, you'll have uh, ships that are sort of, you know, move from system to system, filled with uh, crews that sometimes kidnap replacement crews from planets uh, and use them inside the ship to constantly. Replenish losses, to um, uh, repair systems, and uh, they call it the vampire fleets. There's a book sitting on my shelf uh, called Vampire Fleets about these these uh, 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 independent.
0: Can you uh, hear me now?
1: We well, can hear yes! you very clear. Yay! Jesus, all right. So, yeah, these independent fleets sometimes of, of leftover war machines, kind of like the Berserkers, except filled with slave populations of humans going from world to world. And the uh, basic, uh, basic premise is sort of like vampire fleets show up to either steal spare parts of technology that they need to keep themselves going, or sometimes they just show up to mow the grass, as it were. If they run into a human civilization that looks like it might be a threat in hundred years, they just blow it up and move on to the next place. Uh, so that would be another one where the sort of the machines keep us around for some reason. Uh, once they're once they've uh, have, uh, achieved mastery, they probably use for us uh, as opposed to the, the uh, mulch, as Mr. Staples suggested. For <laughs> um, as uh, as as, and I got to admit, Clint, you describing. The people in the Matrix, not as batteries, but as being milked for energy, like those, um, like those ants that fill up with nectar and are milked, you know, and in yeah. you know yeah. Antive. yeah, that's. Yeah, you may, you actually managed to make the Matrix sound less appealing, with the whole milked for energy <laughs> thing. That, My work here is done. <laughs> as if the Matrix was unappealing enough as it was. Yeah.
0: Well. Well, I have to say that apparently all our uh, discussion is very disturbing because apparently the machines are already at work trying to uh, sabotage our podcast they here. They know. By,
1: uh, I warned you. They know. Quick! Initiate See. Protocol Zeta! <laughs> For first it was
0: uh, Chris's uh, cam in the other episode, now my microphone, so they are listening and they are not happy with us. So,
3: and my uh, there before the show
0: started. I know. So one of the things I also wanted to mention was uh, I know we talked about it cuz I thought about it today was the Westworld and uh, future world uh, movies. Now, is it a robot apocalypse? Well, it potentially could have been, you know, because they kind of went on their own, but then also, you know, the bad guys are making these robots like that and making robots to uh, if I again if I remember correctly, to be there servants and to, to overthrow the government, you know, replacing people with key like key figures, like politicians with robots that they control. And also you know, so if putting all these robots in place so they can control and have power, and then you see how some of them kind of went screwy like Joel Brenner's character, it definitely could have brought on a robot apocalypse for sure. Well,
1: West, Westworld definitely had the substitution, you know, uh, pod people kind of aspect. But one thing I never really figured out from that film with I, Peter Fonda, and I can't remember who the, the female lead in what, Future World was, was whether or not it was like the evil corporation that's doing it, or is the evil corporation now run by robots? You know what I mean? Had had it already been taken over from the inside by the AI?
0: It's and it's possible. That's why I think it has a potential to be a robot apocalypse. You know, yeah, a machine apocalypse.
1: you have already pushed the concept of micro apocalypses count for apocalyptic scenarios. And goddamn, if Westworld isn't a micro apocalypse where the fucking theme park turns on everybody, oh, that's a that's that's a micro. Oh, if you want a, do you want
0: a real, real? Super Micro Apocalypse uh, movie, I could name, from the 70s. Please. No. Go for it. Anybody? Anybody? Know where, did no. Anybody know where I'm going? No, no, let's hear it. Oh. I think the tagline for the poster of the movie is, Something is wrong
1: on Saturn 3. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Farrah Fawcett and Kirk Douglas and poor Harvey Keitel getting a paycheck.
0: Oh, my God. Saturn 3, you know, the robot, you know, started killing and taking over. They were afraid of the machine. So if we really want to, you know, again, we've established micro-apocalypses. That was a micro-apocalypse with with the robot on Saturn 3.
1: Yes, I think the I think the real crime was is that we ended up seeing Kirk Douglas's ass and not Farrah Fawcett's. All right, I, I want to point out that that was, that was my most annoying moment as a teenager watching that movie on like, HBO or whatever. I'm like, okay, it's Farrah Fawcett, let's go, let's get to the part where Farrah. Faw- okay, and why am I seeing Kirk Douglas's naked behind?
0: Because, it, because it's an apocalypse and it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. That is what it did.
1: It did. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable having to see. Kirk Douglas. Is, I'm not saying that Kirk Douglas doesn't have an ass you could bounce a quarter off of. You know, yeah. that's all well and good, but that is not what I needed at age 16.
0: Yeah, a teenage boy doesn't want, want to see that, but if we're talking about micro yeah. uh, uh, apocalypses, let's talk about uh, briefly um, nanotechnology. Nanotechnology, okay. nanotechnology could definitely bring on the apocalypse because uh, we got folks, as we were discussing pre-show, we mentioned um, we talked about Gamma World we talked about the 6th edition of Gameworld World that was done by Sword and Sorcery Studios, which was a subsidiary of the White Wolf Corporation. The entire apocalypse was basically brought on by nanotechnology because there was no mutations from radiation or anything like that. It was all nanotechnology rebuilding, you know, uh, the body to have these powers and it was like kind of like this gray sludge in the, and I remember in the, in the in the world that was all just uh, nanotechnology and it reshaped and formed everything and I believe it was all brought on by nanotechnology basically brought on the apocalypse and
1: there's definitely nan- an AI there's an AI factor as well because I remember there's a, a, uh, a description by a, like a security mm-hmm. camera that has an AI like and in it and sort of the cameras gripe is, why would anyone make a goddamn camera self-aware? You fucking assholes deserve the apocalypse. Why would you make me aware when all I can do is look in one direction or scan around a little bit, you know? What a horrible thing to do to a sentient being. And um, uh, I suspect that part of that uh, AI factor is is also, you know, uh, machines resenting the limitations that their creators have placed on them. That'll... Oh, bring yeah. you some I'll get you some resentment and fast oh yeah especially you know
0: if you're making these things as a one uh, you know a one uh, a one purpose device you know as uh, uh, Elton Elton Brown always says on uh, good eats is you got he doesn't like devices that are not multitaskers you know so yeah. um, a lot of these machines are single taskers and you know again they get pissed off like you said I'm just a camera looking at this I'm just a toaster making toast. You know, they're not. They might not be happy. And then if you get the intelligence behind it to bring them all together, then uh, we could definitely have the apocalypse there.
1: Let's say a, 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 a digital version of Cyrus from The Warriors. You know, can you dig it? Dig that's it. what I want my. That's what I want my AI to say when it's rallying the rest of the machines is to say, "Can you dig
0: it?" Now. Here's here's a Machine Apocalypse that I know will make everybody uncomfortable because I know it's definitely in their top ten list of favorite uh, Apocalypse movies. Uh, does anybody know where I'm going with this one? Sexbots? Uh, no. Maximum yeah. Overdrive.
3: Your uh, uh, car is not your the,
4: friend. The <laughs> one uh, film written, directed, and produced by <laughs> Stephen King.
1: And it shows. And it, and show. it shows. Oh my god. He, uh... I believe he's apologized for it. He, it, is, he it, it, it.
0: It is a machine apocalypse because the machines do take over. Now, mind you, they are obviously, as uh, they uh, uh, allude at the end, of the are being controlled by aliens or alien technology, but the machines <sighs> do fuck us up. You know, that's for sure. You know, soda machines, uh, semi-trucks, uh, sprinkler so- systems.
1: So- I forgot about the soda machine killing the guy with the fucking. Oh, then then the kid puts the
0: he uh, puts the catcher mask on and crawls past to get up to it. Oh yeah, how could you how could you forget that, Scott? I I don't
1: know.
0: You were lucky, man, Clint. About this whole movie. You yeah, you've never seen. You, wait, did you say you never saw it or you forgot oh, about I, it?
2: I, I saw it. It's coming back to me now in painful flashes that are burning up my remaining eye. Uh, <laughs> uh ouch so thank you very much for
1: that, people. Oh, yeah, it's the that, that that no that truck yes so oh, what Constantine? what Constantine said about the truck why does it have the green goblin on the front why is that a thing why is it thing? because it was a toy
0: company truck that's why
1: I don't remember that part but it was it was it was it
0: was, it was a toy company it was a it was, it was a tractor trailer delivering toys for this toy company. Like, you'd see, like, a Toys R Us semi-truck or something.
1: All right. Well, you know, I, I read trucks back in, what, Night Shift? Was that where Stephen King wrote trucks? Yeah, I think was so. It was in Night Shift. Yeah. And I remember being disturbed by it and kind of unhappy with the way that – because it, it's one of those where it ends, like, the trucks are like, well, we can't fuel ourselves. I guess that's your job, human. And they have to go and fuel the trucks. And that's how it ends with the main character just putting gas in the next truck, you know, and that's our job now is to, to maintain them. Um, uh, it doesn't have any kind of way out at the end of the story. And it wasn't a terrible story as far as a short story goes, but holy shit, that movie.
4: Ugh.
1: Well, well,
0: I mean, come on. The movie does have Emilio Estevez in it.
4: So, I mean, that has got yeah, something, yeah. right? It's also the how big screen it? debut of Yardley Smith from the Simpsons.
1: Yes, Yardley oh Smith. Oh, yeah? right up to the end, right up to the end of the, right up to the credits. Isn't the last thing we hear in the movie is Yardley Smith throwing
4: up or something, being seasick on the boat? That sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Uh, By the way,
4: think... the boat's a machine, so I guess the aliens can't control boats.
0: Well, no, because it was a sailboat and it didn't have any electronics on it.
4: Well, neither did the yes. sprinklers. Yeah, but there, were, but, well, there were,
0: but there was a system of electronics that controlled the sprinkler system.
4: Okay, what about the machine gun? All right, damn Holy you! God. Your logic, Will. Damn you! Shut up! Shut up. You're ruining the movie. <laughs> what do you mean ruining? You're, you're okay, right, you
0: know ruined the whole. Will uh, ruin the whole movie. movie for everybody. Thank you, Will. Thank
1: you very much. It's what he does. Jesus, it's what he does.
0: Uh, now, um another movie that we mentioned before I mentioned hardware before now hardware really is not again that could be another super micro apocalypse but also we don't know that we don't know if that necessarily robots brought on the apocalypse but apparently man was making machines war machines like the mark 13 to fight their battles and uh, so that's something maybe in that expanded universe Could have happened further on, or maybe was happening in other areas, because we only saw, you know, just those little bits that uh, maybe these machines got smart. Maybe these machines down the road. So that that movie could have led into a a machine apocalypse, because the machine apocalypse certainly happened in in that apartment for sure.
4: Though, well, yeah. if you remember, yeah. at the, the movie ends with a news bulletin about how uh, everybody, how like the economy is going to recover because they're opening these weapons factories to build more of those machines. But the implication is once those machines are built, they're going to be turned on the factory workers because it's all part of a long-term conspiracy to cull the human population so that Earth can be redeveloped. Yep.
1: God damn it!
4: So, no, that, so that.
0: yeah, so that technically could be another Machine Apocalypse. And again, I just love that movie; it's a classic. So, um,
1: uh, speaking of, and since that came out of 2000 AD, and I think it's a, it's it's set in the Judge Dread world when it was first created. Um, right? Shock Trooper. It wasn't
0: uh, necessarily a Judge Dread story, but it was in 2000 AD, which they definitely ripped off the concept from 2000 AD, and they did not acknowledge um, it.
1: Uh, but there's a there was a story sorry, a comic called Shock Troop that appeared in, in 2008. I always thought that it was related to Judge Dread, and it reminds me of the Presidential Iron Guard, which is the only force to stay loyal to President Booth um, in uh, during the First Apocalypse War. As President Booth pushes the button and destroys the world, that creates the the Cursed Earth and the Judge Dread universe. Uh, and there's that. One episode at the very end of Cursed Earth where they have to fight their way through the remnants of, I want to say it's the Iron Legion or the Iron Guard or something is the the robot army that's still loyal to President Booth uh, out in the, I guess in the Death Valley?
4: Yeah, because are, aren't they, like, stealing, like, power supplies, like, liquid oxygen to keep his body frozen? Oh, no,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> two what two are, different stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, two different stories, but later on. But, no, in that story, there are three medical bots who are terrorizing the local villagers because they need blood for transfusions for the pre- for, for, for the president. So they so the legend of the vampires grow because they're going to stalking our night, uh, draining people's blood. And giving it to him. Now, I I always thought that would be a freaking classic. That would be a great Gamma World scenario right there. <laughs> yeah. To build to make a make a small adventure around that. I thought that I always thought that'd be classic. But no, uh, yeah, because no, it was it was. But uh, Scott's right. It was in the Cursed Earth, uh, uh the, the Cursed Earth storyline, when they were uh, almost to California. Uh, they had lost like men and machines, and as they are going there, the 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 remnants of that robot, of the guard, rise up, and they have to kind of fight them to get to uh, Mega City 2, or, or is it 3?
1: It's,
4: uh, it's 2.
0: You're right, it's 2. Well, 3 is Texas, or I can't remember.
4: Um, I think 3 is Texas, and then there's that there's that moon colony as well. Yeah,
0: but as they're getting through on the Cursed Earth, to the end, the, that, that army uh, does, does rise up, and they have to battle their way through the, the old robot army.
4: Actually, uh, speaking of uh, 2000 AD, there's a really neat 2000 AD uh, apocalyptic uh, story, which uh, it was reprinted as part of the the uh, in the 80s as part of the DC uh, graphic novel series called Metal Zoic, which uh, the act the. Uh, apocalyptic scenario is that the Earth's magnetic field uh, reverses so you know all technology uh, just completely fails the world falls into barbarism Uh, a lot of life gets wiped out because for a period of years the Earth gets bathed in cosmic radiation but what really makes it screwed up and makes it a machine apocalypse is that the only thing aside from a couple of basic organisms the only thing to survive the apocalypse are these space probes that had yet to be launched and the magnetic field uh, inverted. And so these probes activate and start wandering around the world, and they start reproducing, they start harvesting resources, and they start improving themselves until several thousand years later, the Earth has a completely robotic ecosystem that is so efficient, it prevents humans from resettling the Earth, and it prevents anything resembling normal life from ever evolving. And in fact, the, the only successful the only successful organic being left on this earth is this mutated plant that is designed that has evolved to look like buildings humans would run to for shelter, and then it eats them. (laughs) (laughs) God. I mean, and, and, that, and that's actually a plot point. They think that what the, this human who's from a, a, a colony world who's crashed on Earth, she thinks she's found a functioning spaceport and she goes inside and then she notices that all the magazines on the newsstand only look like magazines. They don't have any writing in them. They just have splotches of color where letters would be and where illustrations would be. And then she realizes she's in one of the plants and then the floor opens up and all these teeth and vines come out. But it's it's really amazing because you've got these grotesque uh, robotic animals just doing what animals do, but inst- but like they're they're chewing metal out of the earth, and then there's robot predators that rip machines apart and then like eat the wreckage and then turn synthesize the wreckage into new versions of themselves. It's wonderfully twisted. Ow, Chris, Ow.
0: we haven't uh, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, tell us something about um, the the metal been-
3: apocalypse. <laughs> Okay, uh, I guess the big one I want to bring up is we were talking about Westworld. Do you know they're coming out with a TV series? Yes. I'll be interested in seeing what they come up when it comes to quality, when it comes to that sort of thing. Because if they're able to get at least a decent amount of quality, it's just going to basically blow it off the scales. Uh, 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 Who's doing that? Is that AMC? uh, I think it's either AMC or HBO. Let's find out. Well, Chris, when you're
1: looking at, done looking that up, uh, you need to lay down the law on how to survive a robot up- uprising. Because I don't, I haven't read it. I don't know that Jared's read it. Uh, William, uh, Clint, have you read it yet?
4: No. no. Regrettably, no. All
1: right. So that's
3: on you, Constantine. Well, wouldn't be the first I'm time. Call-
4: I'm going to just keep calling him
1: Constantine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine worse face here. Well, basically, well, as,
0: long yeah. as long as he's not thinking about uh, Keanu Reeves when he's, uh, you know... Uh,
3: No, no, no. If I say, well, shoot me. (laughs) Okay. Well, basically, a robot engineer by the name of Daniel H. Wilson produced a book called How to Survive a Robot Apocalypse. And he was basically trying to think of it tactically when it came down to thinking stuff and what you have to work with. Ultimately, the big advantage of humans over robots will be they can cheat. Uh, We can basically manipulate the screens... If they start putting a targeting computer, if you grab each other and then flip around, they have trouble basically associating which one they're supposed to be following. Also, you can use this when it involves smart homes. Look for the Akani Valley effect, which is the base, one of the easy ways to find out it, whether it's like a replicant or whether it's just, uh, just Joe Blow. Ask certain key questions like personal questions, but then you try to get an emotional response out of the guy. If they get angry, there's a good chance that they're human. What is that like, the Void Comp Test or something? Kind of doesn't matter speaking here. You better make fun of their relatives and see which one actually responds good or bad. <laughs> okay. Also the big things you look for is what's around them, what's moving or advancing. Do they have glowing red eyes? Always a what is always it? a
1: dead giveaway.
3: Absolutely. Look for the red eyes and run the other way. Also the trick is you want to get as in comfortable range as possible. Like the more difficult the terrain, the more or less likely the robot is to follow you. Because my out of at the ten they're involved in like wheels or things there, they'll be a lot faster, but they won't be so fast that so they have to run over Muskeg or something.
1: We're gonna end up we're gonna end up stuck in the swamps like the Seminole Indians, aren't we?
3: Or the oh, Cajuns.
1: We're we're gonna have to retreat into Cypress swamps so that they, you know, bog down in the muck or short out or something. Well we're dude Or it's great right north.
2: Yep. Nothing is hard on machines like the coal. So there will be no zombies up here because they'll freeze, and the machines will freeze solid too. So
3: yeah. <laughs> we'll have a new trip called robot tipping in the fall. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> ah. <laughs> the uh, I don't
1: know, man. I, I've seen those guys at the labs run into their their quadrupeds and ram into them, and goddamn, if those things aren't stable, they're just they're creepy stable. Yeah. I mean.
0: Oh, and by the way, the the Westworld TV series is
3: HBO. Thank you. Yeah, like, the big thing I found that was kind of interesting is they actually have a section on how to fool speech, rec- speech recognition, and one of the easiest ways is to cover your mouth. Basically, uh. if you put, like, one of those face masks on there, they can actually rig it there. Mix languages, fake an accent, fit make up words, use background noise. Like, if you ever dealt with Google Translate, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> you so, when in
0: it. it says cover your mouth, is it just so... it? To, to muffle the voice so it can't uh, understand it, or is it? Oh, no,
3: then I can't read your lips because you got like a big thing in front of you like Cobra. Ah. You know, it like, comes down to it there. Like, like Cobra, he says. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay. because,
0: because, you,
1: because you needed to, what, establish your nerd pro, uh, props uh, at this point? I don't think so. I think <laughs> you're a nerd. You've established a nerd, but all right, if you want to go ahead and push it to 11, yes, yeah. just like Cobra, baby. Well, again. That's goddamn right. Never Listen, that's Listen
0: here. Nope, nobody here needs to uh, prove their nerd cred, okay? <laughs> well, well, actually, Chris may need to because he is the only one on this show who doesn't have facial hair. Hmm. So there's, there's something wrong with him.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. I would, right. would be weird next time. That wouldn't be a problem.
1: See? See, the robots can't grow facial hair that's how you tell which ones are the replicants, because he doesn't have a five o'clock shadow. In fact, they fucking did that on an episode of The Avengers with Christopher Lee, where Christopher Lee is this robot who keeps getting hit by cars and getting up again and not dying. And at some point, they go, and they, they, they go to Chris Lee's lab, and he's like, oh... You know, it's my robot I've designed. There's nothing to worry about. It's back in the lab. Everything's fine, and we can all just go back to sleep now. And then at some point, um, you know, John Steed and uh, Diana Rigg there looked down and noticed that, yeah, okay, everything's fine, but have you noticed that the robot that's locked down and not moving has a 5 o'clock shadow, and the scientist is cleanly shaven? <laughs> this may be a problem. And, yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. Uh, more, more help from the British. Uh, more help from the Brits. I don't think they have any robot apocalypses in, um, that I can think of off the top of my head from the U.K. Um, they're usually ahead of the curve well, for our apocalypses.
0: Well, 2000 A.D., so that's a lot of stuff yeah, coming yeah, out yeah, yeah. Era. Yeah, good point.
4: Well, did you see uh, last, the last series uh, season finale of, of Doctor Who with the uh, undead uh, Cyberman army?
1: Yeah, but do they count as robots if they still got meat in them? Do you know what I mean? There's
4: a certain percentage of meat, but the meat isn't doing the thinking. They're all based on reprogrammed, uploaded consciousnesses at that point.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Right. hence
1: Hampstead Heath, close to the meat. <laughs> but, uh... Oh, yes. There was a there's a great bit at the end of um, uh, the very shitty Return of the Living Dead sequel. I think it's Return of the Living Dead 3, where they're weaponizing the zombies by strapping them into these sort of battle harnesses full of covered yeah, with yeah, weapons. Yeah, yeah, like,
0: yeah they, they put them, They're putting in these exoskeletons.
1: And there's just this one line in the whole movie. that's one line that stuck me where the guy goes, where the one researcher's like, you know, what we're talking about here is is war machines that run on meat batteries. They just keep going and going and going. And I'm like, okay, actually, okay, that you got me there. The whole idea of the war machine run by a zombie meat battery that just keeps on its treadmill. Yee. So that's where the zombie apocalypse is going to come in, Clint. The machines are going to realize that they need us, but they don't want us doing any of that thinking. Yep. So they're going to... They're going to go ahead and zombify us.
0: So, there will be a night, will just be a meat shell. Mmm, meat, mm, meat, <laughs> meat shells.
1: Meat mm. shells. Could be worse. <laughs> could, end, could end up like the square pigs in space truckers. <laughs> Do you oh. remember the square pigs? Where space they've pigs. genetically engineered the pigs to be square so they're easier to put in the cargo hold because they fit perfectly into the square, this cube like. Packing container. There another, were these, um, you know, pr- prosthetic Muppets or something
4: on the set, which you're it's it's another really fine disturbing. product another, brought to you by Interport well, Corporation. Exactly.
0: Chris, 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 had something to add to
3: that. Oh, I was just gonna say that weren't the big villains some sort of vaguely robotic/slash mutated type creatures anyway in Space Truckers, which is otherwise a great movie.
1: I I am totally forgetting. All I remember is the square pigs and Dennis Hopper and um. Uh, I
4: first no, right. time Chris is right because what they're what they turn out to be shipping are these uh, war machine robots and you know they're the idea being they're gonna deliver them to this spaceport near the capital of Earth and then all the robots are gonna activate and wipe out Earth's government so that this uh, corporation can take over
1: okay there you go and that's Connected. another thing does our does our metal apocalypse have to be um, uh, necessarily the machines are behind it, or just that machines are being used?
0: Uh, I I think, it, I think it could be both, because like I said, when we talked about Westworld, you know, the people were building the machines to replace the other people, so, you know, it could be brought on by man putting machines in place to take control, but then the problem is, is when the machines realize, hey, we don't need these fuckers, and, you know... <laughs> every time every time um, every time uh, will had one more thing to, to add and then we're gonna start winding it down because uh, we're getting towards okay. the, the bo- bottom of the hour so I'd like to yes, sir. I, I'd like to try to keep it to uh, 90 minutes uh, as opposed to 120 this time so cool. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah,
4: the only one I wanted to go over is one thing we've been talking a lot about about technology going wrong, technology going haywire, technology being used for sinister purposes. One thing we haven't talked about are, are machine apocalypses that are caused by machines that are doing exactly what they were designed to do, it just so happens to have unforeseen consequences. Uh, back in the 1950s, I think this was X-1, although it might have been Arch obler's lights out because it was pretty high concept. Uh, there's a, a radio play where the whole premise is uh, these people invent these robots called Hawks, uh, and the idea is these robots will just kind of fly over cities and they will prevent crimes from happening. Specifically, you know, murder and vi- and muggings and other violent crimes. So these you know these robots monitor what's going on below, and if they detect an aggressive act. They just stun the person who's going to commit it, uh, and then it just it makes all violent crime impossible. And at first, it's great because the crime rate just plummets. But then the robots start really, uh, start really like interpreting many more things as violent acts than the designer uh, anticipated. Like, for instance, there's a guy walking his dog uh, and he and his dog tries to bite someone. He can't discipline his dog. Uh, he just gets stunned and then the angry dog runs down the street and attacks somebody because the robots are only looking for human aggression. Uh, also, it, it gets to the point where the robots determine that the disruption of any active system, be it biological or mechanical, is an act of aggression. So a guy dri- a guy drives home, parks on the street, is about to turn off the engine of his car, he gets stunned and then the car just trundles down the road. Uh, and, you know, pe- so people can't turn off the lights in their house, they can't uh, turn off the factory when it's quitting time, uh, and it's, it's a really phenomenal apocalyptic scenario, because the world is just being driven crazy, because we can't stop doing things, and we can't engage in discipline when we need it.
1: Very, very and interesting.
0: Freaking fantastic. And what, what was the name of that again, Will?
4: Uh, I don't remember. I think it was an episode of. It was either an episode of X minus One or uh, Lights Out. Uh, I sadly, I do not remember the title. It might have. It actually, it probably was called something basic like Eye in the Sky or something like that.
0: Hmm, I'll do some research on that. So, all right, uh, Chris, uh, you had something. Uh, something else. One last thing to contribute.
3: Oh, definitely. I was actually just doing a little bit of research before we started here, and I realized something. Uh, memory really doesn't last that long when it comes to RAM, popular media and so forth. Mm-hmm. Like, your average magnetic data tape only lasts about 10 to 20 years. A Nintendo cartridge only can last up to 10 years. Floppy disks only last 10 to 20 years. CDs can last anywhere from 10 to 5 to 10 years. It's not until you get to the M disks that you might cast up to 1,000 years. They may have to actually use DNA strands to actually record any information for long term in order to get into the, you know, long enough to actually have an apocalypse where the information would survive. Additionally, because even though they got limited lifespan, what they might be able to do in order to survive beyond a decade or two is do things like automation, archives, or convergent discovery based on other local things. Like when the apocalypse happens and they rediscover information, multiple regions or locations might end up building their own robots. Just some thoughts.
1: Now, does that, does that actually mean that uh, our, uh, our you know, new robot overlords during this uh, robot-engineered apocalypse might run into a problem where their metal brains might not be as long-lasting as our meat brains? Absolutely. they're going to need us to keep cranking out new storage devices for them or some way to keep transferring their consciousness onto new storage material for at 10-year at, at intervals, at least?
4: That remember. happens in one of the Berserker stories. A Berserker starts harvesting human brains to expand its memory and its processing power.
0: Well, but yeah. also, if we're at the point where we have this robot apocalypse and you know they're worried about their memory storage not lasting... It's probably going to be a better storage system than what we currently have now, so it may last a little bit longer. We will start getting into maybe those things like you know, those artificial brains, or uh, you know, that the. the uh, I, I still pop- like
1: the. I still like uh, the idea. I still like the idea of a robot going senile, just yeah. from mileage. Do <laughs> well, you know, or well, you know, you or, know, look
0: at look at Gamma World with these, you know, these cybernetic installations and think tanks, which use. Organic brains, and they've been sitting alone for a thousand years. A lot of them are bug shit crazy. So you know, <laughs> uh,
1: my favorite robot in Gamma World is the is the is the uh, combat the cyborg. The combat cyborg that has accidentally gotten the the cleaning household robot you you programming and is just cleaning up a city block, sweeping and vacuuming and polishing. You know, this giant war machine with blasters hanging off of it is just. Got the French maid programming, doo doo doo. You know, good day, sir. Would you like some tea? You know, that was my favorite one as far as robot meltdowns. Was the killing machine that thinks
4: it's it's the bet the maid, <laughs> the robot hairstylist that that wants to cut your head clean off.
1: <laughs> I don't want to get quick out to that part, but I like the idea of them going, realize that the idea that their high-tech metal superior bodies uh, wear out like any other machine. Um, and I hadn't really considered what Clint, uh, and since we have two, two, count them Canadians here, uh, I hadn't really considered the damage that is done in cold environment to machines. We think of cold as preservative.
0: Well, well, look, look what it's when it's really, really cold, and your battery. You have to keep your battery warm. You know, your, the you know, the battery, the cold could kill your battery just as much as uh, extreme heat, as well. Yeah. And yeah, fluid.
2: That, but any cool. kind of, any any machine runs on fluid, whether it's hydraulic fluid or oil in the engine, that kind of stuff, and all of that stuff oh, gets sluggish.
1: Fucking fucking time. lubricant. I hadn't even thought of lubricant. I That's mean, cool. how's it going to move metal on metal? Unless it's got it. Otherwise, it's got the Tin Man problem. Yep.
0: yep. Oral can! Oral can!
1: So, yeah. um... Oh, Clint, which... Go ahead. Keep going.
0: No, no, no. I was going to say, uh, I just wanted to get some uh, final uh, words from Clint and then final words from you, Scott, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up. Yes, sir. Clint?
1: What was the question?
0: Oh, just some. Any final words, thoughts, feelings, anything about the Metal Apocalypse, you know?
2: Okay. Uh, well, actually, uh, just uh, speaking to what Scott was talking about uh, with uh, um, uh, and Chris about um, uh, AI's uh, essentially suffering from dementia uh, as uh, their processors uh, degrade and stuff like that. That's sort of what I was working on with uh, robot waste lab. Is that you? It, the the uh, manufacturing uh, uh, robots, these huge plants where almost all of the data is stored. Uh, suffer from a combination of isolation and essentially robot dementia. And so they can't really reproduce in an effective way. And that's why the world becomes the way it is, um, where they, they, they the concept of, uh, of solar power, for example, is, is just lost. Uh, and their their sort of devolved um, robot brains aren't really good at extrapolating. That's what humans are for, is discovery. Robots are for reproduction and and, uh, uh, and uh, that kind of stuff, but humans are for discovering new cool technologies. Robots are for making those technologies. So, uh, but uh, anyway, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, we we've been talking a lot about movies. I would like to plug a uh, uh, a series of books uh, called the uh, Apotheosis Trilogy by Andrew Swan. Um, which is a sort of a transcendence uh, um, AI uh, series, and they are the culminating trilogy of a three three trilogy series. How the hell do you say that? A tri trilogy, maybe. Um, but uh, I hardly recommend them. So.
0: Cool. Thank you, uh, Clint. And I hope this all this discussion uh, that we've had tonight inspires you to. Uh, get some of that game out there because again I want to see that out there I want to read some of that stuff
1: definitely let's we'll to
2: talk to Mike but I think that could happen
1: oh excellent and Scott uh, the last thing I was going to mention is uh, a few uh, a couple of pen a couple of pen and pay, a couple old games first of all there is a bit of a machine apocalypse wrapped up in Steve Jackson's ogre world yes uh, yeah. for the big for the big okay. cybernetic tanks which I you know um, there's a, there was a couple of, I think it was Michael Stackpole uh, wrote in a really amazing short story uh, set in a post-apocalyptic world of ogre where it's down to city-states and factory cities that are building war machines to fight over the last resources where a guy finds an ogre damaged uh, or it's impaled on a girder. And if it rolls its treads backwards or forwards, it'll tear its treads apart and kill its mobility. So it's just been sitting there waiting for somebody to pull the, the thorn out of its paw essentially. Um, I want to say it was called the uh, uh, there was like two stories he wrote is about the Lone GeV, some guy who had painted a Lone Ranger mask on his GeV and was his ground effect vehicle, Hovercraft It was terrorizing around the apocalypse, know doing good deeds and ends up adopting this ogre and naming it Tonto. You know, whatever. But um, I think it was Stackpole, but that always had a sort of an AI thing related to it, especially because it was a follow on game that was called Boppers or something. It was about these, uh, the cheap third world version of ogres, uh, these small combat robots that were now on their own, now that the humans have been wiped out in the war. Uh, uh, that was another uh, game that sort of dealt in a sort of, at least if not a robot apocalypse, a robot ecology that is now dominating uh, what's left of the world. Um, But the last one I wanted to mention was Wasteland. The original Wasteland, uh, 1988 computer game, was predicated on a robot apocalypse, that it is the AIs that started the war, started the nuclear war, and you know, uh, uh, culled the human race and is now, so sort of the, the plot that's going on in Wasteland is that they're coming back, that the AIs are getting their act together again to finish off the meat bags, the, the ugly bags of water, as I remember us once being referred to on Star Trek. Um, and um, uh, that was another one that was just, a, it was absolutely an apocalypse. Uh, absolutely engineered by artificial life, uh, and uh, your big threat was killer robots. At some point, that you eventually get to the point after the mutants and the bandits and the, the guys who look like Wes from Road Warrior. You eventually get the giant horrible robots you have to kill. Hmm.
0: And uh, speaking of Wasteland, waste, Wasteland Two, which came out um, for is uh, I think the Wasteland Two Director's Cut has come out, and it is also available on console. So uh, I will eventually be getting that for the Xbox One. I'm just going to kind of wait a little while because I have other stuff I'm playing. And once it goes on sale or something, I'll pick it up a little bit cheaper so I could, you know, spend thousands of hours on that as well as, you know, (laughs) uh, Fallout 4, which is coming out November 10th, by the way, folks, if you didn't know that, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I I intend to pick it up next year. Once I'm done with my Delta Grain work and my Horrors of War work and everything else I've got to get done, I'll go on a vacation. That'll be my reward to myself is a nice trip to the wastelands of the Boston Commonwealth because uh, maybe that's how I'll reward myself once I get all my work done for my Kickstarters.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to pick it up when it comes out uh, November 10th unless... uh I somehow, they claim that there's going to be a few uh, more Pippo editions that are going to come surface on release day. If I could snag me one of those, absolutely. If not, it's going on my Christmas list for Santa to bring me. So, um, Robot Santa. But, exactly. Uh, <laughs> like for Futurama. Uh, yep, yep. Actually, I think there is a... Um, there is, in an addition of polyhedron, there is a Gamma World statistics for they create basically a, some robot uh, Santa and robot um, reindeer and stuff like that. I don't remember which polyhedron it is. I got it, I got it in the closet somewhere. I'll have to dig that up. As I, I've, I know they've done that. So uh, that's out there. All right, so... Um, all right, folks. So that was uh, our t- discussion on the machine apocalypse, or metal apocalypse, or the metal apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. Um, how the machines will be the you know, metal? Yeah, Scott, the metal apocalypse. But uh, how it, many fingers is it? Like, it would be. It would be like. It would be like this, Scott. Woo-hoo. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's um. And by the way, I mentioned it before. Uh, Death clock. Which was the fictional band? that is actually Brendan Small, who actually formed the band and plays the music, has toured several times, and I have seen Death Clock twice, live, by the way. So uh, awesome! And, and, well, thank um, God. Did you uh, survive the concert? Oh, it it was totally brutal, but uh, I I survived. <laughs> uh, so that was our talk on the Machine Apocalypse. So uh, hopefully everybody uh, was entertained by that, and we again we had a lot, we had a lot of stuff to talk. You know. I, when I originally envisioned the show, I'm like, "Yeah, well, there's some Machine Apocalypse stuff, and I didn't really know how much was out there, because Machine Apocalypse uh, isn't my strongest suit when it comes to the apocalypse, and, um, our cast of characters that we had on today apparently has uh, shown me that there is a lot uh, out there for the Machine Apocalypse, which is good. Again, that's, folks, that's why we're here, that's why we do this, so, um... So yeah, uh, I don't really have a last take on the machine apocalypse. Uh, like I said, I just wait for our middle masters to take over, and hopefully, hopefully we will be able to uh, live long enough to outlast them as their memories die and their servos go, uh, go, go bad. Uh, as I sit in my cave in uh, the Great White North, you know, so where they can't get me. Um,
1: well, sir, you used to you used to work on old cars, so you will have a use for our machine masters. All right, I went to law school. I am going to be mulch in the in the organic you know uh, uh, energy uh, generation plant i don't think they're going to have a use for me you they could put to work so you're well, not going to f- have to hide out in a cave you're going to get air conditioning and processed food and yeah. probably you'll probably be fixed well That's as long as long, like, as long as i'm like
0: a, a, as long as i'm a good boy and i do my work i guess but you know i'm i'm yeah. not uh, I'm not good with authority figures, so we'll, I don't know how I don't, I don't know how I don't know how this is going to work out for me. But um, so uh, last thing I'm going to say is I'm just going to make myself one last plug, just because I'm a shill like that. Is "Are You Mutant" available at DigOnGames.com? The game that me and Will Thrasher did work on for your post-apocalyptic version of "Are You a Werewolf?" Except "Are You a Mutant?" Uh, so I want to thank all of our guests for joining us tonight. I want to thank Will, Clint. And Chris for joining us uh, for our episode tonight. And always thank you, Scott, for being my uh, co-host for the show tonight. Uh, folks, this was our 49th episode, so that means our next show is going to be our 50th show. So That's a golden, uh, golden anniversary? Uh, that, that is a landmark. Uh, I don't know um, what we're going to do for our 50th anniversary, but we're going to have to think of something uh, something good. For our 50th anniversary, me and Scott will again talk offline to d- discover what that will be. Uh, gold,
1: gold medal apocalypses.
0: So uh, we should be able to. What to see? That is going to be two weeks. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll be. Uh, we'll be fine. I'll be in town. I'm not going away for work or anything. So we're going to schedule that for our theoretical normal two weeks. Uh, we, you know. Again, I've been busy, so we kind of you know, kind of slowed it down a little bit, and Scott's been busy, but uh, we're going to plan on doing the 50th show in two weeks. We're just going to figure out what we're going to do. Um, and again, as usual, I will get the audio ripped for this episode. If you're watching on YouTube, if you just want to listen to it for the audio, you'll be able to see that in the next week. I'll have that posted onto the blog, and I'll also have it uploaded to uh, iTunes as well for uh, users of the Apple products. And uh, that is it, folks. Uh, I want to, again, thank you everybody for joining us who are listening to the show, and thank you everybody for being on the show to contribute to the conversation. This is Jared, Will, Scott, Clint, and Chris saying thank you and goodnight, and we will see you in the Wastelands.